I'm Chris Turner, and this is the Empowered Parent Podcast. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Christopher. I thought we could talk this time about memories. And no, not the show tune. <laughs> as covered by Elvis Presley. Yes. Yeah, well, okay. Are you going to sing it for us? I will not. Oh. And Babe, hopefully no it? one else will either. Why are you looking at me when you said hopefully <laughs> no one else will either? Ryan could totally sing it. Uh, that's very kind of you, dear, but um, that is not what not people a... listening want to hear is me saying. They're all like, I'm going to turn it off like, right why, now. Why wouldn't he just stop hurting my ears? <laughs> Though when we inevitably get some sort of membership function that could be an extra we offer for those paying customers. Well, there you go. Me singing? Yeah. Ryan singing. No, no, no. All of us singing. <laughs> oh, no. Not happening. Well, that would make for a fond memory, perhaps, for some. Or a trauma memory. <laughs> or a trauma memory. <laughs> Creating trauma memories for our listeners. I what a segue. That's a good idea. Yeah. Wow. Ta -ta -ta. This is why we're a good team. See? Yes. It works well. So, memory is a, a huge player for our kids. Yep. And uh, it plays a large role in how they are reacting to us and to the rest of the world. So, let's dive into that. Okay. I was going to say something, then you were going to say something, so now I'm going to let you say something because I'm a gentleman. Oh, I actually wasn't going to say something. I was just going to say yes. <laughs> I was yeah. just going to agree. So memory is a big player for all of us, right? And I think that um, there's a lot of things that we all believe to be true that simply aren't true. Um, and so I was thinking maybe we could talk about a couple of those things here, like the myth that, uh, that your memories are exact reproductions and everybody over the age of 35. Well, I guess Polaroids are making a comeback. So it's Polaroids, right? Yeah. But they're these, in these pictures that are taken at the moment uh, when the event happens. But the truth of the matter is, is your memories are mostly just stories that you tell yourself about stuff that happened way back when. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing about memories is is they are not exact reprodu uh, reproductions of, of the events. There are stories that you tell yourself. Um, that which, which may have elements of actual exact reproduction, but the overall, I guess, story that your yeah. memory is, is not exact, yeah. Yeah, that's why lawyers will tell you that the least reliable person to put on the stand is an eyewitness, right. because they don't know what they saw. Um, memories are, are influenced by your current emotional state, right? Mm -hmm. so, so if you, um, Senator, you have an old friend from high school, and as as men are sometimes wont to do, have a falling out because you both pursued the same girl in the scene in your uh, in your senior year. Well, while you're still angry at that person, all of your memories of that person are actually influenced by how you feel about that person today. Mm -hmm. um, and then, if there's some sort of reconciliation between the two of you, your memories of high school will be different again because of the happier place you're in. Right. So let me put that a little bit more contextually for what we do. Um, if you have a childhood where um, it's it's neither tragic nor nor fairy tale, it's it has its good moments, it has its bad moments. But as an adult, you and your primary caregiver actually build a better relationship. You will see your childhood differently mm -hmm. than it actually happened because the person who is a big player in your childhood will be viewed mostly, if not exclusively, in a positive light. Right. So, given that. 
most or all of our memories are narrative instead of exact reproductions. How, as parents, do we help our kids change that narrative? Okay, so this is why talk therapy is so effective, right? I mean, Freud invented talk therapy a couple of hundred years ago now, maybe, maybe less than that, um, which is, you know, kind of these memories are stuck here in, 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 in the recesses of our mind, right? And so, you know, we talk about going and connecting first before you correct or before you redirect um, because we experience our feelings, right? So we have to go over to the right brain and then connect over there and then walk the kids over to the left side of their brain where we can, where language lives, right? We can make right. sense of those feelings. Yeah, and so making sense of your feelings, words are connected to that. So being able to talk about... Um, about the past is really, really good because it forces us to go back into the recesses of our mind and bring those things up to the prefrontal cortex where things like language, logic, and reasoning live. And that's how we make sense. One of the ways we make sense of things is talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, PTSD is only diagnosed in American soldiers after the Vietnam War, okay? So it's, it's Bessel van der Kolk's work with guys coming back from Vietnam that ultimately leads to, to PTSD being included in the DSM. Um, but as early as World War I, uh, British soldiers were diagnosed with something called shell shock, which is the precursor of, right. of PTSD. Yeah. And, and part of that is that um, coming back from Vietnam, American servicemen for the first time were on in a war zone and, you know, 12 hours later, I don't know the exact length of the military flight from, from, um, from Vietnam. But a day later, they're back home. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, service people came home on ships. Right. And so they had days, weeks at sea with people who had shared experiences, and they talked about these experiences, and they helped them make sense of it and process it. And, and folks prior to the Vietnam War, service people were integrating back into society a lot easier than perhaps people since the Vietnam War because they did not they, they processed it with people who could understand. The reason that shell shock was diagnosed in 1919 in, in British service people is because it was just across the English Channel and they were home. So the same same brevity of journey. Mm -hmm. Putting people on airplanes removed um, them having group therapy. Right, which talking so, through their experience with others. Yeah, so that's why it's important. Um, to, for us as parents, for what, what we know about our kids' stories or what we can fill in the blanks with because of our understanding of trauma, we can then trigger those conversations. We have to do it gently, though, because um, most likely we'll get to a point where the kids don't want to dive in, right? We, we have one of our kids like that. They'll talk about a lot of their memories, and then there's one that they don't want to talk about, and they are resistant. And you can't push them. But certainly the idea of, of, of talking about memories um, helps people make sense of them and, and kind of build a puzzle, mm. you know? Well, and I think it's why sometimes our kids will tell these stories. You know, I know when we, um, especially when we were fostering and kids had these memories of being in their biological home or maybe even another foster home, mm. and they would tell these stories, and they were old enough that they had memories. It wasn't like, you know, you had a two-year-old that when they were five started making up stories, but right. they would tell these stories 
the way they remembered them and the things they would say based on what you knew about their history or their previous homes that they'd been in, you knew those weren't true. Yeah. But it always seemed like, why are they making up these stories? Mm-hmm. When in reality, this was the way they remembered them happening based on whatever was happening at that time. Or maybe they're in a good place now so they can only imagine, you know, they can only look back and think that it was a good place then, right? right. You know, they can't. It, so it's so interesting. I mean, I just, I'm fascinated by memories. I don't, I don't fully understand how it all works even, right? I don't even, but as we start, as we look at like the whole firing and wiring in the brain, right? And how those, how those memories are coded in our brain and how those experiences are coded, you know, it's like when we talk about a child that um, when they hear, you know, loud noises and they get freaked out by them, right? Mm -hmm. Because there was a memory of a loud noise and something bad happened. Right. And so now when you go and it's, you know, the 4th of July and you see fireworks and there's a loud noise and they freak out and you're like, look, it's just fun. It's just everybody's watching. Aren't they pretty? And they can't because there was a memory that was coded of that loud noise and something bad happening. Right. You know, I, I want to go back to something you said about um, st- telling stories. I think that it is, Really, really important, and we should probably plan to do a, a few kind of diving deep a little bit on memories here because I think it's really important that we understand memories because understanding the way memory works um, might move us a little bit from thinking our kids are liars, yeah. right? Because, um, you know, just think about recall. My, my favorite example of that is um, you hear a song on the radio. And then the next day you hear it again and you it kind of caught your attention the first time, but you sing it and then all of a sudden it's like the words aren't the way you remembered them from yesterday. Right. Well, that's a, that, 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 that's a really great example of how memory works. You, you're, you're telling, your brain's telling you, you a story about something that happened in the past. And then you're like, instead of going, hmm, oh, I just must have misremembered them. I'm like, it's weird that they would release a song and then an alternate lyric version of the same song <laughs> at the same time. I mean, that doesn't make good business sense. We'll have these conversations uh, well, with ourselves. Well, and and you're because your mind's always trying to make sense of things, right? So, so I grew up in West Texas, right? I grew up with. So people in West Texas say you grew up in Central Texas. They're very well, adamant <laughs> about that. Yes. I grew up with, you know, ranchers and cowboys and, you know, that was kind of, that was my childhood, right? So when I heard the Beach Boys song, Little Deuce Coop. Mm-hmm. I was going to rat you out if you weren't going to self I knew you were going to rat me out on this one. It, to me, I would always sing it as a child, Little Boot Scoot. <laughs> By as a child, she means while we were dating. While we were dating. <laughs> and so that just, was... just to be clarified, you were not a child when we were dating. <laughs> you were out of high school and everything. That's true. I was almost out of college, too. I um, no, But I would sing Little Boot Scoot. And I never, nobody had ever corrected me along the way. Maybe they all thought it was that way, too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, either they thought it that way. They didn't love you enough. <laughs> And so we're we're like singing along to the Beach Boys one day and he goes, "What did you just say?" And I sing the song and he goes, 
you you know that's not actually what it says, right? And I was like, what else would it say? I I'm mean, like, you think a band named the Beach Boys sing a song called Little Boot Scoot? <laughs> but in my mind, I was making sense of yep. it as a child when I yeah. heard it, and Boot Scoot made sense because all the songs that I heard were country songs yep. about boot scooting. You know, I mean, that was that was what I heard, and so it's funny when we talk about it, but those are the kinds of things that our kids do because their mind's trying to make sense of it. So they'll recall something that happened and you're like, why are you making up this story? But in reality, their mind was trying to make sense of it. And, and even when you tell them that's not what happened, they're still convinced that that's what happened. Yeah, Cause people dig in, right? Because, yeah. because it, because it seems so real to you. Um, I think if we can just, Camp on little boot scoot for another minute or so, Chris. Um, sure, I, and you know now all of our listeners of a certain age have Brooks and Dunn's boot scoot and boogie, boogie going through yeah. their heads. Big because, player. Hey, <laughs> memory. That's right. And if they didn't, they do. They now. do now. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it, if I start it, humming that song, Chris says you're welcome. Um, no, the the reason uh, that's important is because one of the um, one of the of the differences between left brain and your right brain is that your left brain. Um, is, is, is about content. Your right brain provides context, right? And so because your right brain uh, b- provides context, um, when Kaylee hears little deuce coop, the context in which her formative years were musically and then environmentally, she hears little boot scoot, right? Because, I mean, isn't it just crazy how your brain works? I literally wanted to start the the brain podcast for parents and just talk about the brain every episode because we will never run out of content. So it provides context, which is one of the reasons we're super opposed to, um, to timeouts and sending kids away. And, 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 you know, again, for, for, for the vast majority of time of the time, the idea of sending a child to their room is not a great idea because number one people, you know, from a relationship standpoint, people will say, um, you know, you've told the child that their behavior says they can't be part of the family. I get it. But the other thing is that if that child had any sort of sexual abuse in their history that you may not know about, uh, if you fostered or adopted, or they have any kind of physical abuse, a lot of those people, a lot of the abuse is done at the hands of somebody the child knows. And so if it's done at the hands of somebody the child knows, it's possibly in the home the child was living in, and it's possibly, most likely, in the bedroom. And so... Um, you've placed the child in the environment where they experienced the original trauma, and because your body experiences your feelings, um, their body actually experiences the trauma. They have the same feelings um, that they did when they had the original trauma, even though they're not being hurt again. But because of the way the memory works, um, which is one of my other crazy things about memory, um, if, if you don't mind me just kind of shifting here a little, um, is that we talked about how memories aren't Polaroids. Well, there is one kind of memory that is a Polaroid. That's trauma memory. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of the state of heightened arousal that your mind's in, it actually does code um, that, and you can recall it um, immediately. Um, Not immediately, but you can recall it with a high level of accuracy. And so um, before we started hit the record button, um, we were having a little bit of a debate about the the nine eleven story, um, and I kind of thought maybe I told it here. I didn't think I did. You didn't vote, so which means you don't remember either. Um, so if I've told the story uh, before, I apologize. But um, so when I learned that um, 
when I learned that the trauma memories are coded differently than, than memories that are not coded at a heightened state of arousal. Um, one of my favorite things is when I learn new things, I try to come home and, and run experiments on the group <laughs> to see if it's true. Yes, he does. And he doesn't yeah. usually film me in on the experiments either. He just <laughs> does them and then tells me, okay, this is what I was doing. This is what I was, I read this or I heard this or so. Yeah, so, and part of the reason I don't usually tell her is because she is very <laughs> frequently the subject. <laughs> I'm usually, at least partly a guinea pig. So, so, so here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> I, get, I get home and I say to her, I said, Caleb, do you remember uh, September 11th, 2001? Yes. I said, okay, can we just talk, walk through the day from the time you got up? She said, okay. I said, um, and, and so um, we just did this as sort of stream of consciousness and without any commentary at the time, but but I'll provide commentary. And she said, um, she got out of bed, probably took a shower, got dressed, went downstairs and had breakfast. Now she said, I probably, I'm like, okay, well, how do you know that? Well, that's just the way, that's just kind of was my, my morning routine. Get out of bed, shower, get dressed, go down, breakfast, leave. She was student teaching at the time. And then, um, and then she gets in the car and drives towards the school. And nothing about the journey on the way to school. And she says, I got to school and I remember I walked in the front, front door of the building and all of the teachers were in the main office looking off to the side. So I just walked in and looked and right about the time that I looked at the TV screen, there was, there was smoke coming out of one of the World Trade Center buildings. And seconds after that, this other plane comes screeching in and just flies into the side of the building. Um, I'm like, how did you not know about the first plane? Um, I think I was listening to music in the car. Uh, what we listened to, like a worship CD, right? So, so her mind's filling in the blanks because up until she sees the plane into the building, she's not at a heightened state of arousal. So everything is routine, probably. That's what I kind of usually did. But as soon as the plane hits the building, now we're into like exact memory time because now she's 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 scared, right? Her, her mind's in a heightened state of arousal. Well, what happened next? Well, because the school district I was working in had a lot of airline employees as parents, uh, we decided to dismiss the kids. And so the parents came and picked them up. It's pre-internet time. So um, the proliferation of the internet. So we're not living in the information age yet. And so these folks can't just like check their Twitter or whatever to see what's going on. Information is not as fast moving. That's the only point I'm trying to make 18 years ago. And so we released the kids. After we released the kids, we have a brief meeting. And then I left and I called you and told you I was heading home. Well, what did you do next? Well, I stopped um, at in the South Lake Town Center and went to, and then you met me there, and we went to Williams Sonoma and picked out some plates for our, on our wedding registry. They're the blue ones. We still have them at home. And I said, why, why did we go to Williams Sonoma on such a strange day? And she said, I think I just wanted to feel normal. I said, okay, did you get gas on the way home? No, I was going to, but I remember driving by the Costco and the line was around the block and I thought, I'll just get gas tomorrow. I have like a three-quarter tank. These are oddly specific things, right? <laughs> oddly specific. Yeah. And, and so I'm like driving home and I said, okay, well, what did you do when you got home? Well, I was pretty worn out. So we watched TV for a little bit, watched the news, and then I took a nap. Mm. After I woke up from my nap, you came over, picked me up. We went and watched President Bush address the nation at a friend's apartment. You drove me home. And then as you walked me to the front door, I remember looking at you and saying, because we were engaged at the time, and, and she said, what kind of a world are we going to bring children into? And then I buried my head in your chest and sobbed. I was like, wow, that's a lot of detail. 
What did you do on the 10th of September? No I have no idea. Yep. Yeah. Now, um, that's a fun story, right? But the point of that story is that those things that wounded our children, they can recall with that level of accuracy, and it's terrifying them. And sometimes we don't parent the wounded child that's mm-hmm. behind the behavior. We just parent the person that's in front of us. And I think we create so many of our problems, right? So we started this, um, this dad's group on Facebook, um, Empower Dads. And one of the things we're doing is we're issuing challenges every week. And the challenge this week was, um, you know, see the behavior, see the need behind the behavior, don't see the child who's acting a certain way in front of you. And some of the comments in that was like, wow, that's just really revolutionized how I looked at my child. Mm-hmm. It's a simple thing, but if we don't understand how memories work, we don't understand how that's informing their behaviors, we don't understand all of those things in the background, then I don't think we ever um, ever become the parents that, that our kids need us to be. Yeah. We have one of our kids who, the last couple of years, <clears throat> you can really see his struggle with identity. Mm. And he's suddenly having memories that there's no possible way he could have had. Because, mm. you know, we know all we need to know about his history. Well, we know all that is possible to know about his history. Yeah. And the things he tells us that he has memories of, there's no conceivable way they, they could have happened because of his age at the time and, and so forth and so on. But to him at, at that time, it was very real. And so we had to take some time to talk to him in a you know calm manner and a calm time for both of us to, you know, let him off easy, I guess is the best way to put it. Because that can be dangerous later on too when we are when he's older, more mature, and we're trying to help him work through his feelings that he is inevitably going to have. But he's already having them. They're, they just look different than they are going to look when he's a teenager or a young adult or in his 30s. So let me ask you a question. Uh, you said we know, you and Kelly know everything that's possible to know. Right. And he's having memories that are not in line with what you know. Right. So, um, so the narrative, the story that his mind is telling himself to make sense of where he fits in into the world. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I was just trying to understand what you were saying there. Yeah. I mean, because if we don't help our kids process those memories, mm-hmm. um, then, then they start, start really taking hold as truths. And it affects, it affects their belief system about themselves. Absolutely. Yep. And, and there's a lot of negative that comes from that. Um, you know, um, I had a mentor and he told me, he said, look, you got two options. You can pay today. You can pay tomorrow. <laughs> right. But I promise you that if you choose to pay tomorrow, it's going to be more expensive. Exactly. Tomorrow. It's why we got to help the kids make sense. It's, you know, um, just, just think about all of the money and therapy you may save in the teenage years. If you help your six year old make sense. Right. And again, Please don't email us and say Ryan promised there'd be a reduction in therapy bills. I'm not saying that. What I am saying that that the we possibility. Yeah, there. because we have yeah. responsibility to to get those kids, our kids, on a healing trajectory as soon as we possibly can. Right? It's why we talk about things. Um, it's why we talk about the root of one of our kids' anxiety with her, because she needs she needs to make sense of that. Because that's the beautiful thing. Um, you know, we're talking to some people today about about the adult attachment interview. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about the attachment science is it doesn't say that we we forget things, that we move on, that we repress them. What it says is that we make sense of them. Right. Right. That's the only way forward is to make sense of what happened 
And if and if we believe that to be true, which I, I know the three of us wholeheartedly agree on, then we have to understand the way memories work mm-hmm. if we're going to help our kids make sense of all of it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, probably a good place to stop this time around. That's a lot to process for our parents to think about how they could help their kids process those memories, whether they be implicit, explicit, narrative, exact reproductions. I feel like you're setting up a future episode with your implicit, explicit talk, <laughs> Mr. Turner. Well, you know, like we were kind of talking uh, off mic, that's, uh, that's a whole other episode in and of itself because, uh, you know, our kids don't necessarily realize that they have implicit memories that are affecting them the way yeah. they, they do. So, I know, well, the, I know the three of us probably don't realize that either, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, and there's so much we can learn about all of this. And, and we mention this book all the time, but The Whole Brain Child is, has some great chapters just that talk about yeah. memory. So if, you, if this has been interesting to you, those would be really good. Um, that would be a really good book just to pick up and yeah. flip through some of those chapters. And it's, the, an, it's an easy read, too. It, it is an easy read. And it's... I, it sounds weird that there's a book about the brain that's an easy read because the b- brain is so complicated. Yeah, that's what makes it good. But that's what I yeah. love about it is that it is such, so if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. And it, there's just some really good examples in there yeah. of just some of the stuff we were talking about. Well, and, we have recommended that book so much over the last six years or so that I'm pretty sure that, um, that like Siegel and Bryson have like purchased a second home based purely <laughs> on the royalties of our recommendations. So, so, are, are you so they owe us a little bit of a commission. Well, so, so, um, so, um, um, we're friends with Tina, obviously outside of this. And so she posted pictures the other day, they just moved mm. and I wanted to post in the comments. You're welcome. <laughs> but I didn't. And if yeah, I know Tina funny. occasionally listens, and so that's that's just a joke, Doctor Bryson. <laughs> Respectfully, we will not link to the photos of Tina's new house, but we will link to the book by her and Doctor Siegel. Yes. <laughs> if you've got any questions, and I, I can't believe that you might have listened to this episode and not have any, feel free to email them to us at info at onebighappyhome dot com. You can also squeeze into 200 characters if you're extremely talented. More power to you. You can tweet it to us at One Big Happy Home. We also have a Facebook group just for our podcast listeners. Search for the Empowered Parent Podcast Community and you can post a question there. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. Just search for the Empowered Parent Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from our show, we would appreciate a review in any of these locations. The Empowered Parent Podcast is committed to helping parents of foster and adopted kids through connecting, correcting, and empowering principles. Thanks for listening.